This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs, introducing the new Firehouse Pub Steak Sub with savory steak, crispy fried onions, and our rich Belgian beer cheese sauce. On tap for a limited time. Order yours at firehousesubs.com today. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2018 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.13% of every purchase. Welcome back to Liquid Lunch, hitting the home stretch. Tesla, it's been great to have you here on the show today, and this is our final. It's been great final... to be here. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, one more interview left. We've got uh, awesome. Michael Robert Diet here, and um, Michael, great to uh, have you on the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. And uh, you've got a new book uh, out on yes. Blue Denim Press. Maybe you want to hold that up. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got an intriguing title, Hunting Muskie, Rites of Passage, a uh, book of short stories about Maybe you can describe your sure. definition of rites of passage for us. Yes, uh, what I primarily write about are those times in life when unexpected storms or challenges hit us and knock us off course. We kind of struggle and stumble for a while to find our way through that. Mm-hmm. And we fight, fighting to find our way back to where we belong or back home, metaphorically. And that journey back becomes a rite of passage that we're meant to learn from and, and grow from and come out stronger at the other end. Right. So that's really what I write about. That's the connecting thread in all the stories. The title of the, the collection is based on the one story, Hunting Muskie. It's a story of an elderly man whose uh, wife passed away. He's at a cottage. He invites his son to come for a fishing trip, and there's a, like a big announcement that he's going to drop during that trip. And the hunting muskie is sort of the metaphor for the unseen foe that that person is facing, in which in this case is announcing that he has cancer. Oh, I see. So okay. he's, a, he's, out, he's a ardent fisherman, and he's hunting the muskie, but that's a metaphor also for the battle that he's fighting in his own life. Right, okay. Very cool. Yeah, it's an intriguing title because, uh, and I asked you if you, mm-hmm. you have done a lot of fishing in your life. and. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, I've not caught muskie. They, one of the things I quote in here, they call muskie the, the fish of 10,000 casts. They're very, very difficult to catch. So, yeah. And they're not in every lake. They're, they're not, uh, no. They're act- fairly rare, actually. Yeah, certain just specified lakes, yeah. That's, that story's based on Rice Lake, which has muskie in it. Uh, I was thinking of Rice, Rice Lake. Lake. Yes, yes. Uh, Peterborough area? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think they're in the Niagara River as well. Mm. Yeah, there's a few places in Ontario you can get them, but uh, definitely not. You're not going to find them in uh, every place that you go. Right. And what's the, the sort of, you know, intrigue with the muskie? Uh, the muskie basically is... As I say, they call it the fish of 10,000 casts. It's just very, very difficult to get one to actually bite and hook it. If you do, they give you a great battle, but and you can fish for you know, for a lifetime sometimes and never hook one unless you are uh, in the right spot at the right time or you're a real expert fisherman and you know what to use. And they're big. They're really they're big, right? They're, yes, like a, okay. they're like a pike, but bigger. Yes. Big lake yes. fish. Yep. Gotcha. Big, big, mm-hmm. big, yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Up to 70 pounds, I think. They can get. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Huge. So um, now, when you did you, uh, I mean, you know, you, it takes a, a, t- a period of time to write a group of uh, short stories, and I'm just wondering, did you have this theme in mind before you started writing these stories, or did you look back at a body of work and said, you know, we've got a theme here? Yeah, no, I didn't have a specific theme in mind. The stories were all written individually over about a six or seven year period. When I 
got the got a uh, publishing contract and working with Shane. You know, we have to come up with the title for the collection and we have to tell what it's about. So that's when I started to reflect on what the stories do and the, and the connecting thread. And uh, bounced around a lot of different story titles. Eventually decided to go with name, using the title story, The Hunting Muskie, just because it had that strong metaphor of yeah. fighting an unseen foe, which a lot of the characters are doing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, Could you maybe read us a passage sure. from one of the stories? Mm-hmm. Sure. Something that you find intriguing and would like yes, to share? Certainly. I'm just going to choose one that's called Hurricane Ike. Just quickly set the tale here. It's This was actually a story idea that I came across when I made a trip to Texas for a bird watching tour. And the, t- the trip was based in an area called High Island, which is a little town on the coast of Texas. Mm-hmm. When we got there, the trip leader told us that about three or four years prior to that, a hurricane. Hurricane Ike hit the coast there, and just this entire area was buried under like eight feet of water mm-hmm. for a few days. So, mostly my mind started going, thinking there's a story here for sure. So, mm-hmm. I invented this character, this man named Ike, just a giant of a man. And he's always thought of himself as a little bit of a kind of a freak of life, but he's found his soulmate, and they're living together in, in the town of High Island. The hurricane comes, they decide we're not going to move out, we're going to. We're going to ride it out. Mm-hmm. And, but then they realize, the hurricane hits, that they've been a big mistake. And Ike realizes, I've got to do something to save save our, my life, save my, my uh, wife. And they go through a very much an epic kind of journey of battling the hurricane to uh, find their way back again, back home. Wonderful. So is this a paragraph from the story? Yes, it is, yes. Wonderful. Okay. Gibra, Gibra. Gibra woke to Ike's urgent voice amidst the roar of wind and rain. She's coming, and she's a bitch. We've got to get onto the roof. She heard a high-pitched whine in tune with the wind. It's a siren, Ike. Help is coming. No, Gibra, that's the wind. It's blowing through the gates of hell out there. The roof is our only chance. Ike, the window. As she pointed at it, the glass appeared to bend as if it was made of wax paper. A crack raced horizontally from one side to the other. Gibra! Before Ike could finish, the window shuddered inward, showering them with glass. Wind rushed in with a ferocious groan, driving a sheet of rain that drenched them. Tex, their Jack Russell Terrier, yelped and jumped into Ike's arms. Go, go, go! There's no time to waste! Ike jabbed Weber through the house with Tex under his arm. As he reached for the front door, it blew off its hinges, careening over their heads. The wind slammed into them and water rushed in over their feet. He wrapped his free arm around Gibra and herded her to the side of the house where he had an extension letter tied up. Up, Gibra, as fast as you can. We have to get onto the roof before it hits. At the top of the ladder, as an immense flash of lightning illuminated the night, Kieber looked to the south and froze in terror. A raging 12-foot wall of water was surging toward them. Ike pulled her down onto a wooden object she could not make out as the water swept them away. She tried to scream, but Ike's arms wrapped tightly around her, trapped her breath. She heard Tex barking and caught a glimpse of him clinging with all his might to Ike. The surge tide drove them forward as an ungodly wind threatened to wrest their makeshift life raft from beneath them. Giba realized it was the picnic table they were riding on, as it spun in tight, dizzying circles. Thunder crackled and lightning burst through the darkness. Blue-black clouds were spinning maniacally above them. The deafening roar and electric whine of the wind lodged in her brain like an evil presence. Smith Oak Woods! Ike bellowed in her ear. She saw the branches of the great live oaks above the water. Yes, she thought, Smith Oak Woods. But of what consequence was that now? I'll come back for you. I promise. Go! Ike's mighty shaw propelled her towards an approaching oak. Giba grabbed hold of a large branch, wrapped her arms around it, 
and held on for dear life. Ike! Ike! Kiba screamed. Within an instant, he was gone. She clawed her way upward to a fork in the branches and wedged herself firmly there. Lightning flared, giving one last glance at Ike in the distance before darkness closed in again. Wow. Whoa, yeah. So I guess we'll have to buy the book to find yes. out what happened to Ike. Yes, yeah, so the story follows Ike as he's battling the hurricane and trying to get back to Kiba and save her, and there's a little twist at the end just as you think he's, everything's right. There's a little twist at the end and another little battle that he has to fight. Cool. Wow. So, um, boy, we really hit the ground running on that one. Um, now, you mentioned before we came on that uh, um, that these rites of passage, um, you know, uh, that we go through, uh, we hit uh, difficult patches in our lives, and, 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 and we have to battle through those. Yes. And it's not fun when we're in the middle of those battles, right? And then, uh, but we, we want to get back to some kind of equilibrium. Uh, we want that to resolve in some sort of happy way. And then we get back to normal life, whatever that means, where we can kind of be happy and normal. And Thrive. Plan yes. Plan yes. our mm -hmm. lives and mm -hmm. move forward. But uh, you also mentioned that sometimes it's not always a happy, um, a happy ending. And, uh, but it's still a rite of passage. Yes, it's definitely the, that rite of passage is sort of what we're meant to learn from and grow from, from going through that difficult experience. And sort of to my desire, whenever I'm writing a story, I, I want the character to sort of come all the way through to the end and uh, reach the end and have resolution. But sometimes the story just demands that, no, this is not the way the story is meant to end. This character, unfortunately, is not meant to have a happy ending. So have to let the story go where it wants to go. And so. Usually in those cases, the character himself doesn't learn from it, but someone else in his life may learn from his experience as well. Or the reader. Maybe, yes, yes. Hopefully. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Are your stories, you know, I haven't had the opportunity to read the book, apologies, but uh, do, you, do you, you know, when you talk about rites of passage, this happens at any age, you know, from teenage all the yes. way through to, you know, when you become an elder. Do, mm. do your stories really run the gamut of, like, of mm. looking at the rites of passage throughout the ages of one's life? Yes, actually, there are characters in the novel anywhere from like early 20s to late 70s, all facing their challenges at that particular time in life. So yes, no one is exempt. Everybody faces these things, sometimes early in life, sometimes later in life, but there's there's no exemption from it, and it's my characters kind of run the full gamut of young to old, male, female, the whole, they're all everyday normal people who are just caught up in that uh, moment in life when they just have to you know, sink or swim. Mm -hmm. So the book is really applicable to any age group, though. Any, you're, you're, yes. you're targeting all, sort of, you know, the mm -hmm. the full gamut of 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 uh, yeah, ages within the audience. It's potentially of interest to basically any, any age. It's probably because I'm a baby boomer, and I write kind of from the mindset of a baby boomer. Probably is most appealing to that group. But I've had younger people read it and really enjoy it as well. So. What does that mean exactly? The mindset of a baby boomer. Uh, a little bit more about uh, the, I like to think of things like, uh, I call myself a digital immigrant. There's this concept of digital immigrant, digital native, digital natives like myself, or digital immigrants like myself. The, we didn't grow up with the internet. We had to kind of adapt to technologies that came along. Digital natives, the younger generations, it's just second nature to them. So some of the, like I, I'm not really a technology fan, and some of my characters are not crazy about technology, but 
the, because they're in that era. But uh, so I, you know, I think in the mindset of a baby boomer, a little more. I don't, uh, you know, I grew up in a fairly comfortable family. I didn't have necessarily some of the struggles that some of the younger people have these days in terms of getting into workforce. So it's, uh, so I, I say I write from that perspective. I don't think it's limiting to that perspective. I think anybody will enjoy it, but it sort of has that baby boomer kind of slant on it. Well, there's a lot to unpack from that, mm -hmm. uh, what you just said there. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, because you mentioned you're a writer. I mean, like almost all Canadian artists of some sort, you also have a day job. Yes, if, absolutely. If, if you're fortunate enough to have a day job. Um, um, but uh, the idea of, of even writing itself, uh, I mean, I kind of joke sometimes that books aren't for reading anymore, they're for writing. Mm. Um, um, but um, yeah, we're in this new digital environment and um, uh, you mentioned some of the struggles that younger generations are having, but they're not, I don't think they're reading as much. I'm not sure they're going to be writing as much. Uh, there's whole yeah, we're, new we're podcasting. Well, exactly. There's whole new um, forms of communication. Uh, and, and, and acquiring information, right? Yes, that generation's used to short little sound bites. They, they don't necessarily read a full novel because they're just used to getting things in shorter bits and pieces. Their attention span is sometimes not as great, so they're just used to getting information, taking it in, in a different way. So if they're going to read, they're likely going to read an e-book, or they're going to read it on their digital device. Less likely to read the print, the actual print copy of the book. So, so this book is available, obviously, in e-book as well. So it's available for both groups from that perspective. And uh, I think the younger generations, yeah, they just have a different outlook on life just because of what they've grown up with. Right. No. Um what are you trying to achieve as a writer? I mean, are you doing it for the fun? Do you want to have a great work that gets out there that people will appreciate? Uh, yeah, um, Michael Diet's le legacy vision. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always, whenever I'm writing a story or a novel, I'm always trying to you know, deliver some kind of a message to the reader, something they can take away, a little message about life or about how uh, you deal with life, how you deal with struggles that come along. So. It's always my desire to, when that person finishes reading the story, that there's sort of a takeaway that they can say, yeah, okay, I get that. That's something I can take and apply to my own life and some of the things that I deal with. Mm. Okay. Um, now, you've got uh, these uh, two works, this book of short stories that you just read from, and, and this is an older book, Until the Deep Water Stills. Uh, was this a novel? or? Yes, it is, yes. Okay, and this is no longer available in print. That's but, correct. Uh, but uh, it sounded like you were on the cutting edge in terms of offering other ways for readers to get involved in the characters and that sort of thing. Um, um, what do you, are you, what's your next project going to be? Or have you started thinking about that yet? Yeah, I think our next project I'll launch into will be another novel. I've sort of got one of those little seed ideas kind of germinating in my head that I will eventually turn into a novel. Uh, probably be, I'll probably do some short stories in the interim, right now between the day job and trying to promote this book, it's hard to find sort of the time to actually dive into a novel. So I'll probably do some more short stories, but I do have that kind of novel idea that's kind of fermenting in my head, and I'll eventually start working on that. Mm -hmm. Now your website, uh, mdietmetaphor.com. I mean, uh, why did you, I'm just curious, uh, mm -hmm. the metaphor, putting that right in your 
Is, uh, is metaphor an important part of, of your writing? Yes, absolutely. I write literary fiction. I use a lot of metaphors and imagery in my work. And when I self-published that novel, I knew I needed to, because I worked in marketing, I knew I need to create an author brand. So I decided my brand was going to be built around the metaphors. So I call myself the metaphor guy. My website is metaphor.com. My blog is Metaphors of Life Journal. So that's my whole sort of author brand is built around the idea of metaphor, which relates to the literary fiction that I write and the fact that I tend to use metaphors in my novel. I, I tend to kind of understand and interpret life through metaphors as well. Who would some of your favorite authors be? Uh, some of my favorite authors, uh, Canadian author uh, Catherine Gauvier. I actually had her as a instructor in a uh, fiction workshop back in university days. She's a wonderful writer of kind of literary fiction, history fiction. Love everything she writes. Uh, a couple of U.S. writers, Barbara Kingsolver. A lot of people know her for the for uh, uh, things like the. Uh, she wrote a book years ago. And, that's escaping me, but she's a literary fiction author, writes a lot of kind of pastoral imagery. I love her because she's, she was a biologist by profession. A lot of that finds her way into writing. I love everything she writes. Uh, another writer, David Payne, another southern U.S. writer. Very lovely, lyrical, powerful writer. Mm -hmm. Started out as a poet, and uh, being a novelist, I'd love to be able to write like him. I don't think I'll ever get there, but that's sort of one of my goals. Well, what would you have to do differently? To, to, to write like him? Uh, there's obviously a natural aptitude there. He just has an incredible facility with language, just to images and flowing language and flowing uh, uh, writing. He was started out as a, as a poet yeah. and sort of took that and put it into his writing. So I'd have to definitely have to wait till I retire and have time to really sit down and really, because to, to write a novel like that would take just so much focus. Now, you mentioned mm. uh, that one. Uh, the one story that you read from that it was based on, uh, I mean, you had an experience in that mm -hmm. part of the world, mm -hmm. uh, so you were able to uh, take some of your personal life experience and translate them into into your fiction. Um, uh, I mean, what, what, what are some of your, uh, or maybe one uh, striking experience that you had that uh, you've been able to use maybe more than once? Uh, well, I'll tell you one that I haven't been able to use yet, which I will, happened just as this book was about to come out. Last uh, summer, right, beginning of August, I landed in the hospital, had to have colon surgery. It's quite unexpected. And uh, I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, had the surgery, came out, had some post-op complications, ended up back in the hospital another three times after that. So that's part of the, sort of the seat of an idea in the back of my head. The, character that I'm going to write about will sort of have that experience to use because it was definitely one of those sort of eye-opening things that taught me sure. I needed to start uh, a big way much passage. better, eating much better, living healthier because I, some of my habits had led to this problem that I had. So. Okay. Any plans to go fishing this summer? I uh, bought my fishing license. I hope I, I will get out. Uh, there's a few places near me where I can go and it's just a matter of finding the time. That's great. And uh, now, so the book, is it out yet? Can people actually order? Yes, yes it came out October of last year. It's available on Amazon, Chapters Indigo, or Barnes & Noble. Okay. And uh, you have links there uh, to your website uh, or from your website? Yes, yes. mdietmetaphor.com. That's correct, yes. Well, uh, it's been great to have you here. Great to hear 
passage from the book, it's actually uh, very evocative. I mean, I feel like I've actually lived through part of that scene, and uh, for sure, it was intense. I'm kind of really dying to know what happened to Ike as he battles his way <laughs> yes, through yeah. the storm. So, mm -hmm. uh, I just want to say thank you for coming in today, and I'd l we'd love to have you back uh, when you have your next uh, book uh, ready to go. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on the show. Okay. Yeah, All right. You. Thank you. So I think that's it, Tesla, for another Liquid Lunch. Liquid Lunch on Tuesdays. So great. It was a great show today. And, yeah. Uh, thanks to thanks you for, for having uh, me. Being part of it. So. Wonderful. All right. So thanks, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll be back here for some more right here on thatchannel.com. See you then. Sally Beauty's new all-in-one hair color kits make it easy to color your hair at home. Get everything you need to color for beautifully radiant results. Loved by professionals, open to everyone. Sally Beauty.